Greenville Health System's mission is to heal compassionately, teach innovatively, improve constantly. And in that spirit, we present this special podcast series, Inside Health, brought to you by Greenville Health System. Here's Melanie Cole. Juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, also known as juvenile idiopathic arthritis, is the most common type of arthritis in children under the age of 17, with close to 294,000 children up to the age of 17 are affected with arthritis or other rheumatic conditions. My guest today is Dr. Sarah Payne-Poff. She's a pediatric rheumatologist with Greenville Health System. Welcome to the show, Dr. Payne-Poff. Tell us, what's a pediatric rheumatologist? Thank you. Pediatric rheumatologist is a specialist who has first trained in general pediatrics and then gone on for specialty training in rheumatology. And they deal with both autoimmune and autoinflammatory diseases that occur in children. And the most common one, the most common two things that we see are juvenile arthritis and lupus. So you're seeing juvenile arthritis and lupus, both autoimmune diseases. So let's discuss juvenile arthritis. So children, you don't think of children as coming up with arthritis. Typically, you think of an older person. So what is juvenile rheumatoid arthritis? Juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, which is uh, more commonly now called juvenile idiopathic arthritis or JIA, is an autoimmune or inflammatory type of arthritis. So the most common type of arthritis in adults is osteoarthritis, which is uh, wear and tear arthritis. But in kids, we see this type of autoimmune arthritis where the body's immune system is causing the arthritis. So how would a parent know? The most common things that we're looking for are really things that are in the history and the exam. So we're looking for joint swelling that persists for six weeks or more. And that timeline is just because there are many things such as injuries or different types of infections that might cause joint swelling for just a few days. So joint swelling that lasts for six weeks or more. And then we also look for a history of morning stiffness. So if your child is walking like they are uh, quite old in the morning and that's lasting for at least 30 minutes in the morning, those are the main things that we look for in the history. So who's at risk for this? Is there a genetic component? If the if the if one of the parents has a rheumatoid condition, is it more likely to be passed down? Who's at risk? We do think that autoimmune disease in general tends to run in families, but it's not often exactly the same thing. So there are some very common autoimmune diseases, such as low thyroid. Many people know someone that has low thyroid and has to take thyroid hormone. That's actually a form of autoimmune disease. So we do often see in the family that there are, there are scattered people that have different types of autoimmune disease. So maybe mom has low thyroid and there's a grandmother or a great aunt that had rheumatoid arthritis and a cousin with type 1 diabetes, which is another type of autoimmune disease. So we do often see that different people in a family have different types of autoimmune diseases. We think that is probably due to the interaction of a a lot of different genes that just makes that family more prone to autoimmune diseases. But there's, you can also see kids that have juvenile arthritis and no one in their family has any of that history. So there's um, no one particular thing that definitely makes the child, that they will definitely have arthritis. There's no one particular thing that protects you either. So can you, is there a specific test for it, an RH factor? Do you take a blood test? How do you find out if this is actually what the child has? 
So the diagnosis is really a clinical diagnosis, meaning it's really based on our history and our exam in clinic. Now, that being said, we do um, usually do some blood work because the blood work will sometimes give us extra clues. And uh, we do check some antibodies that tell us about, help us to figure out which subtype of arthritis the child might have and what type of side effects they may be at risk for. However, the blood work isn't the thing that really makes the diagnosis. The actual diagnosis is all about the history and the exam. So once you have made this diagnosis, then how do you treat a child who has this type of pain, which can be very debilitating and uncomfortable? And how do you work with them on a daily basis to manage this condition? Luckily, there have been a lot of new medications that have come out over the past 20 to 30 years, and there are always um, people that are still working on new medications, so there are continuing to be even new ones that continue to come out. But we'll often start with um, just an NSAID, which is the over-the-counter ones that people might be familiar with are things like Motrin and Aleve, but there are a great many uh, different prescription NSAIDs available. Sometimes we'll also start with injecting steroids into the joints, especially if the child only has one or two joints affected. Um, and that, that way we can sometimes avoid having to take any medicine that affects the whole body. In kids that have more joints that are affected or when the NSAIDs don't work, then we move on to medications that affect the immune system. Some of those are um, things like methotrexate, and others are things that people might have seen commercials for on TV, like Enbrel and Humira. So is this something that will ever go away, or is it a lifelong condition? That really depends on the subtype. So under that umbrella term of juvenile idiopathic arthritis, there are seven different subtypes. Some of the subtypes, such as the children that truly have juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, or kids that have things like juvenile psoriatic arthritis, we generally don't think of those as things that you ever totally outgrow. However, there are um, some kids that have juvenile arthritis, especially the ones that only have a few joints, so kids that never have more than four joints involved. Those children have a pretty good chance of totally outgrowing their arthritis and not having it be a problem into adulthood. Wow, that is great information. And do children with these types of autoimmune or arthritis have to limit activities? Is there any limitations on gym and recess and exercise in general? We actually encourage them to be as active as possible. At times when we're maybe still trying to get started with treatment or if the child um, has has a flare at some point and they are having more active symptoms, then we do need coaches and gym teachers to be sympathetic to that and let them rest if they want to rest. But we encourage them to do as much as they feel they can do because it is important for the joint health and the bone health in general to stay as active as possible. So what about the family and the parents and siblings helping this child to live as comfortably as possible with juvenile arthritis? Things they can do at home, whether it's nutrition or yoga, meditation, whatever. What can they do lifestyle-wise? So good nutrition is, is of course, good for everybody. Um, We don't have a lot of very definite proof that a particular diet will definitely help um, arthritis. But things that are good for you, like eating lots of fresh fruits and vegetables and avoiding um, a lot of sugar or very processed foods, those are things that, that are good for everyone. 
There is some evidence in adults with arthritis that uh, eating fish several times a week is helpful. That study has not been repeated in children, but we do often still recommend that um, our families either try to increase the fish in their diet or if they feel that they can't do that really reasonably to maybe consider taking some fish oil um, supplements. And then, of course, the staying active, as we mentioned, is very important. It used to be before we had as many medicines as we have now that swimming was actually one of the primary treatments for arthritis. And so for families that have access to pools, we really encourage swimming, especially in the summertime. And Dr. Payne-Puff, tell us about your team at JHS Children's Hospital. Yeah, so there's uh, myself, and uh, I am trained just for pediatric rheumatology, so that's what I do all the time. I have a partner named Dr. Laura Huber, who actually is trained for both adult and pediatric rheumatology. So she spends most of her time seeing children, but she does have an adult clinic one day a week, and that uh, is a great help for us for our older kids who are maybe graduating from college and need to transition into the adult world. And then we have a great uh, nurse named Anne who also helps us out. And then we are in the Pinkwood office at the GHS campus. And so we also have um, people that work in the lab here and at the front desk answering the phones that work for um, several different of the offices here. But everyone works with kids all day long. And just wrap it up for us. It's such great information. Give us your best advice for the listeners about parents who might have children with juvenile arthritis and how they can live their best life and come to see you if they need their care. Yeah, I think one of the most important things for the community in general is just to have the knowledge that children can get arthritis and uh, so that if kids are complaining of joint pain or they're seeing swelling that's not going away, that we do get to see those kids and uh, make sure that they get the care that they need. And then just to Uh, remember to stay active, which we continue to emphasize. But the thing that I try to, um, you know, tell parents when kids are first diagnosed is this may mean that your child needs to take some medicine in order to feel well, but it really should not inhibit anything that they would want to do, any dreams that they would have for their life. We have kids that uh, have arthritis, for instance, that are college athletes. And it it really shouldn't, as long as um, you're willing to take the medicines to feel good and treat uh, treat the arthritis, it shouldn't really prevent their child from doing anything that they want to do. Thank you so much for being with us today. You're listening to Inside Health with Greenville Health System. And for more information, you can go to ghs.org. That's ghs.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.